This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. God bless you as you're seated today. Are you, do you love Jesus today? Woohoo! I don't hear very much excitement out there. Do you love Jesus today? Reach over and pinch your neighbor really hard. I want to hear them yelp. There you go. That's good. That's good. No, uh, I want to thank all. I want to thank those who went to Oregon Kids Convention. Uh, thank you for thank you for serving our children. Can you give? Let's give them a round of applause, can we? And I want to say thank you to Relevant Life Church, who empowers and enables them to go who gives so generous, generously and sacrificially. Uh, there's lots of scholarships that go forth, and thank you for caring about our next generations and helping them to do so. Uh, I want to remind you about the dessert auction. It was on the screen here today. Go into the church app, click on uh, the, the QR code, whatever it is. Uh, if you need a dessert for Christmas, for, for Thanksgiving, you want to come. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was specified directly or not, uh, but this, this fundraiser is for women's ministries and for the, 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 Women's Retreat, there we go, the, the, that's coming up in April, May, and uh, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a good time. I've, there's a lot of planning that's going on. I hear it in my, my house on Tuesday nights because they come to our house, and I'm hiding upstairs, but I hear their laughter, especially Tiffany's cackle and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> anyway, thanks for coming today. We are stepping into our 90-day giving challenge. It actually began on November, uh, the first part of November, but today we're going to actually start talking the concept of giving. You may have come today and you're going, what the crud? I didn't come here to hear about money. I don't want to talk about money. Can I tell you, the moment we start talking about money, the moment I start talking about money, can I tell you that there's emotion that's connected with money? How many of have emotion connected with money? You know, whether there's, whether there's plenty or whether there's little or whether someone's saying, hey, we need your money or whether a bill shows up and you have to pay that bill. Uh, can I just tell you that I want, if, if you could just go, everyone take a deep breath. Regardless of whether we talk about money in church or if someone, you were sitting at a restaurant today and someone came out and sat across from you and said, hey, let's talk about your money, it's going to create anxiety regardless, right? It's going to cause some angst in you. And so today, whether uh, you're here today and we talk about going, we're going to talk about money, we're going to talk about stewardship, and you're going, yes, and I love to give. There are some of those that are here that love to give and it doesn't make them uncomfortable and they're going, yes, pastor, preach it. Some of you that are here that are going, I don't quite love to give, but you know, it doesn't bother me as much as it might bother someone else. And maybe you're here today and you're going, Pastor Kevin, I brought a friend and I don't want to talk about money. Um, maybe your first time here is you're going, wow, all they want is our money because this is the first service you've ever heard us preach on. Today, when we talk about this concept of money, it's not something that we are trying to uh, gain for RLC. It's because RLC cares about you and what we want you to gain from God. And so when we talk about this concept, I can tell you that uh, as pa in pastoring for over 36 years, this concept of stewardship and giving oftentimes brings angst and anxiety in my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. Yesterday, I was sweating and I was praying. And I was saying, God, I can get up there and I can communicate. But the reality is this. I have no power over your heart. I have no power over how you live your life. I have no power over your wallet. I have no power over how you give, 
But I can tell you today that I do have power over my responsibility as a pastor. So today when I come and I'm talking about this concept of money, I have three motives. Number one is a selfish motive. That selfish motive is that someday I'm going to have to stand before Jesus. And I'm going to have to give an account as a shepherd of Relevant Life Church of what I've taught and what I haven't taught. Uh, God's Word speaks to me and says that, Kevin, as a pastor, you are worthy of double judgment. So today as I come, I come with a power that God has placed over my life that says, Kevin, you have to be a good steward of your congregation. Secondly, truly, I want you to be blessed. And I, you're going to hear my story. You're going to hear Rhonda's and my story through this, this message today. But can I tell you, there is such blessing when we walk in obedience to God. Not just obedience to God, but obedience to God in our giving. There's huge blessing. And thirdly, I want to ask you to invest in the greatest mission that has ever existed. The greatest mission, the mission of God that is not just a temporary mission, not something that's just going to burn and, bear, and go away someday, but a, a, a mission that goes on, a, a purpose that extends into eternity. No greater participation than ever. As I think about uh, my testimony as a giver, as a, as a believer, I was raised originally in the Lutheran church way back when. And I remember in the Lutheran church that when you were part of the congregation and you were part of their role, every year uh, on, the, on the foyer table when you would come in, the lobby table, every year in January, you would come in and you would find a box of tithe envelopes that had your name already printed on them and a number that was correlating to your name. Anybody, anybody ever encounter that, experience that in your life? So some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm not lying, really. When it comes into this concept is they, they expected, they believed, they were so convicted over the concept of giving that it was non-negotiable that if your name was on it, you were going to give. Right or wrong, I go back and I can think of those memories. And I was raised in a home that I was raised that you give 10% to God. You save 10% and you live on 80%. Anybody ever hear that equation before? My dad, my dad preached it until he passed away. 10% to God, 10% to savings, live on the rest. And I remember that was just ingrained in my life. And as I think about that process, Ron and I began at a 10%. And it was not begrudged, but I can tell you that it began out of an act of obedience Anybody been to that place where you just go, God, I'm going to do this out of obedience? Today, I can tell you not in bragging, not in, in, but I want it out of example that today we now give well over 20% in our annual giving. That's because it's not become just an act of obedience anymore. It's become a thing of joy and purpose. And as we give, peace arrives in our hearts and in our lives. There might be moments of anxiety over finances, but can I tell you that we can always come back to a settling that God's going to do something supernatural. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, you're free to talk about this, and you can do all that because, Pastor Kevin, I've seen your house, and I know what kind of house you live in. But can I tell you, let me back, backtrack. I can tell you, yes, we've been extremely blessed in our house. And I could tell you the blessings of what God did for us it was not Kevin and Rhonda that did it. It was God that did it as a result of our obedience. You come back and you say, Pastor Kevin, but look at your family. And I go, yeah, look at my family. Mama, Rhonda and I were obedient to God, but it was God's blessing that has raised up our kids. 
It's God's blessing that has brought us our grandkids and all that is there. Pastor Kevin, look at the car that you drive. Can I tell back and tell you again? Once again, it's not because of Kevin and Rhonda. It's because God poured out blessing upon our lives. As I look across Relevant Life Church, look at this church. This church is a result of your act of obedience and faithfulness in giving. Not just East Campus, but South Campus. When we talk about this concept of above and beyond, you and I like the idea of above and beyond. We lo- our culture loves this idea of extremes, right? You know, extreme sports, uh, the amazing race. I'm dating myself, but I mean, you can go back to all the different things of the extreme, extreme, extremeness of society today. This concept of above and beyond is something that's exciting. We like the idea of above and beyond when it happens to us. Hear me when I say when it happens to us. But the concept of above and beyond, if it has to come out of my life, sometimes we come back and go, well, what about me? Anybody ever feel, what about me? This idea of above and beyond fits, applies, fits and applies to all of us this morning. This definition is actions or behavior. Everyone say actions or behavior. Everyone say behavior that exceeds what is required or expected. It actually comes from our understanding or concept of abundance. We're going to get to the New Testament if some today as well, but I want to talk about this concept of above and beyond exceeding. The concept of above and beyond is that, that it has a standard or a beginning place that you are already accomplishing and then adding to it to go above and beyond. For us to understand what above and beyond is, to have to know and to understand this beginning place, the benchmark is given to us in Scripture. Today, you may be, you may be here and going, I don't understand giving. And above and beyond for you is that you're going to begin to give. That's an above and beyond that you're going, God, I haven't been, so now I'm going to. Maybe today you're here and you've been giving and God's going, hey, I'm asking you, would you take another step and go above and beyond what you're already doing? Today, this concept of above and beyond begins with a, plot, begins with a, a base, a foundation, I've wrestled over this sermon. I've actually wrestled over this passage of Scripture because there's been lots of controversy over it and lots of debating because it's an Old Testament passage. But I can tell you today that honestly, Rhonda and I live from the foundation of this passage of Scripture. We live, this is how we live our life. This is as well as with the New Testament understanding of it. But it's a a foundational place. When we understand this the validity of the Old Testament and the New Testament. How many know that when Jesus came, he did not do away with the Old Testament? Many times we come with this concept that he came and he did away with the law. He didn't do away with the law. He completed the law. He fulfilled the law. Today, when you and I think of the New Testament, we think that Jesus came and preached sermons on Paul, I think, or something. But can I tell you, when Jesus preached his messages, he preached on the Old Testament He came and brought statements such as this, it is written, but let me say. He came and brought the fulfillment of, the concept of. And so oftentimes you and I step back and go, well, no, the Old Testament is old. Can I tell you the Old Testament is foundation for principles and practices? Thankfully, we don't have to go back to the foundations of of practices such as sacrifice because Jesus sacrificed ultimately for us. But today, when we think of the concept of giving, when we think of the concept of, uh, of, of tithing or, or just being generous, we have to go back to the foundation principles and practices of the Old Testament. 
Because that's what God, that's what Jesus was building upon. It wasn't a brand new idea. It wasn't a brand new concept. It wasn't something that Jesus said, oh, here I am now. I'm going to ask people to give their money. Or I'm going to quit asking them to give their money. Whatever it is that you might take. Today I've titled my message, Foundational Obedience. Foundational Obedience. If you will turn with me or look up, follow along on the screen to an old, old Testament passage of Scripture, Malachi chapter 3. The title in my, in my Bible is actually Breaking Covenant by Withholding Tithes. I want us to understand today that this, this passage of Scripture is written from a prophet, Micah. He was a minor prophet, classified as a minor prophet. Not minor because he was insignificant, but minor because of the length of the book. He's encapsulated with a bunch of other prophets that were called minor but it wasn't meaning that they were insignificant and they didn't have anything of value to say. It was actually meaning that their book was shorter. When we can think of major prophets, we can go to Isaiah and Ezekiel because the book was longer. That's the basis of all that is there. But my, my, Malachi was a prophet and he is now coming and speaking a prophetic word to the Israelites. Verse 6 of chapter 3, it says, I, the Lord, do not change. How many are thankful that God does not change? This isn't one of my points this morning, so I want to take just a little brief moment here to come and go. God, here back in 400 BC, the prophet Micah is speaking for God saying, I, the Lord, do not change. Can I tell you today that if God were here, he would come and say, I, the Lord, do not change. That who I am, my character does not adjust my expectations do not adjust. Who I, what I have played forth does not adjust. So, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Let me ask you today, if anyone's so bold to say, how many have ever turned away from God's decrees? How many have ever not done what you know he tells you to do? And he says, if you will return to me, I will return to you. Can I tell you, I've been a recipient of God returning to me when I've returned to him. When I've discovered that things, God seems distant, how many have discovered that it's not God that's moved, it's usually the you that's moved? When things are not going right in your life, it's not usually because God's bringing all calamity upon your life. It's because you've moved yourself from underneath his safekeeping and his covenant. Verse, verse number, uh, what verse is it? Number eight. Going on, I guess it's number seven here. It's still going in. Uh, it says, but, who, but you ask, how are we to return? And Malachi goes on. He says, well, a mere mortal robbed God. You, you robbed me. But you, how, but, but you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and see that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for you to store it. I will prevent the pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. Everyone say, call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The book of Malachi is being presented to the Israelites about 100 years after Nehemiah and Ezra. Nehemiah came in to rebuild the walls. Ezra came in to rebuild the temple. Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament, written in 440 B.C. approximately. 
He writes this book, and for 400 years between Malachi and Jesus, God is silent. The last words that human, the human race had, the Israelites had, was the book of Malachi. These principles that are laid out here, Malachi actually addresses six specific grievances that God has to, about his people. Six, six complaints. And I wonder how many of these complaints would be towards us today in our culture. The Israelites had returned from the Babylonian exile, and Jerusalem had been rebuilt, and the temple had been restored. But God comes, and he said, in verse, or chapter 1, verse 2, he says, uh, you've grown cold in your love for me. Malachi chapter 1, verse 7, you've become careless in your worship and offering blemished sacrifices. Malachi chapter 2, and verse 6, you've become indifferent to the truth. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10, that you've become disobedient to the covenant. Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, that you've become faithless in your marriage. Malachi chapter 3, and lastly, number 6, is you become stingy in your offerings. As I step back and I think about the con, the, our, our society today and how it plays out in our lives and what we're looking at, how many of these things would God come and speak to how many of these things would God come and address in our lives? These sins were prevalent in their day. There was a, a coldness and a callousness to God. There was a distance from God. And Malachi is coming and going, hey, do you want to fix this distance? You know, what was amazing to me is that in every grievance that Malachi would bring, the people of Israel would come back with, with, with a fire, an anger, and almost resentment towards God. What's so cool about this is that in Malachi chapter 4, we see at the very end of this, he's going to call it a remnant of people that are going to stay faithful and remember God's covenant. It was that remnant that God was coming and saying, I have a promise for you. But today, when we think about these things, I want us to look primarily, I got five points that I want to give you, and hopefully I can get through them rather quickly. Uh, but number one, foundations for giving is, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? Let me ask you, how many here have ever been robbed? How many have ever been robbed? Raise your hand high if you've been robbed. I think of a story when I was in college, 1982-ish, walking up from the, the, the ferry in, in Seattle, Washington with my buddy, both of us over six feet, climbing, climbing the hill trying to get to a bus, and all of a sudden someone comes up behind us and they say, get in the alley. We turn around and there's two junior high kids. We're over six feet. And these guys are hitting our knees, but they have a gun. I, I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. And they say, get in the alley. And we get in the alley, and they rob us. They empty our wallets and take whatever is there. Can I tell you, that created a whole different perspective of Seattle for me. I felt safe. At one time, I felt safe, and now I didn't feel safe anymore. Several years ago at our South Campus, I came in on a Sunday morning before church like I do and had done my study and come out of the sanctuary to walk through to get a cup of coffee, and all of a sudden I'm going, something's not right here. I look around and our keyboard's gone, our sound system, part of our, our sound system is gone, speakers are gone, items are gone. We're talking thousands of dollars of items that were robbed from our church. Today, if you're listening online or if you're here, don't, don't even think about it. Colleen has a big dog, and she will track you down. No, but we do have security systems at both campuses as a result of all that. This concept of being robbed, 
being robbed. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, as we said, it says, is, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. I found this story this week. We are thankful that no one was injured physically, but it will be some time before things are back to normal. It's clear that more than one person is responsible. In fact, there may actually be many people who have been partly to, uh, par- party to the crime. Two things are most unfortunate about robbery. One is that we have no assurance that it won't happen again, and that it is a bit unnerving. The other unfortunate uh, element is that we are certain that those who carried out the robbery are attenders of our church. It's bad enough to know that a theft has occurred, but it's really hard to imagine that professing Christians would actually steal from God in the ministers, ministries of his church. We can certainly hope that anyone has particip- who has participated in this act will repent and repay what has been taken. It's reported that some of the stolen money has been used for vacations, cars, boats, designer clothes, athletic equipment, education, homes, and even dining out. We don't have a complete list of all the suspects that there's a con- there is consolation in knowing that God does. You haven't read this in the papers, and hopefully you won't. I realize that some of you will disagree, but it would be difficult to get a conviction in court, even uh, given the clever way in which robbery was carried out. You're probably also interested in how much was taken. The amount is undetermined, but at the very least exceeds many thousands of dollars. By the way, the robbery happened in full view of church during Sunday services. It happened as the offering was received. It also happened as people who didn't come simply didn't give to the Lord's tithe. I don't know if that creates tension in you or not. It's why concept of giving and tithing and as a pastor of stewarding a church, it creates tension in me. This, this creates tension in me, but can I tell you what's sad to me is that I know that it's a reality. And it's my job as a pastor to come and to bring the direction to create a tension. The story is heavy, but can I tell you the words of Malachi are very, very heavy. Will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? I don't know about you, but it has been a, I don't think I've ever thought of robbing a bank. Anybody think of robbing a bank this week? Camera's panning the crowd. (laughs) Your face is going to go on the screen. America's most wanted. Can I tell you as far as that idea of robbing a bank would be from your mind or my mind? Can I tell you that... We have been guilty in the past of robbing God. And we don't even give it a consideration. We don't give it a second thought. Malachi says, how does a man rob God? By tithes and offerings, by taking from him and giving nothing in return. You say, well, Pastor Kevin, isn't salvation free? Yeah, it is free. But can I tell you, there's a concept of what we have to understand. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 14, says, To the Lord your God belong the heavens and the highest, even the highest heavens and the earth and everything in it. Today, when we think about all of the possessions that you and I have, when we talk about all that we're surrounded by, they all belong to God. As a way of recognizing God's rightful rule and omnipotent ownership of all things, God's people in the Old Testament would turn around and say, God, we are going to give back unto you because you've given this to us. It was a recognition that it belonged to him. It was a recognition of what we call stewardship. Not get recognizing and not giving back was actually called robbery from God. Today, we've been given the same. We owe him our life. We owe him our strength. We owe him our heart, our mind, our service. But I ask you today, what have you given in return? The Old Testament pattern was a financial tithes and offerings, literally meaning a tenth. 
It was a foundation, a beginning of giving unto God. It was a base amount. When we talk about this concept of, of tithe, rarely does it refer in Scripture that it was, it was, never a, it was always a taking, a presenting, or even a paying of tithes. When we think about the concept of tithes, it was never related to my tithe. It was always related to God's tithe. Today, when we come and we go drop our envelope or we do the little check mark on our, our, our giving, we're going, I'm giving my tithe. No, you're not giving your tithe. You're giving God's tithe. It belongs to God already. It's His. Whatever, what even gets more complicated in the Old Testament is that there were actually three tithes. In book of Malachi, where Malachi is talking, he's talking about the first tithe of 10% that would go to the priests and to the temple. But there was a second tithe that was expected to come, and it was to celebrate the annual sacred feasts throughout the year. And there was a third tithe that was taken every three years of another 10% that was called to help the, help the poor. We step back and we look, and it was a 23% tithe. But Malachi doesn't just say that you've robbed him in tithes, you've robbed him in offerings. Offerings were those special requests, just those heartfelt responses to God. Tithing has always began, been the floor, not the ceiling. Tithing has always been the place to begin, not the place to end. The Old Testament is focused on the, the beginning, but can I tell you the New Testament focuses on the end. The Old Testament comes and says, this is the beginning, this is the foundation. And the New Testament says, no, there's above and beyond how I want you to live your life. Unfortunately, today, this concept of tithing is misunderstood. People come and they go, I'm giving my tithe, and they give a $50 check when in reality their first verse was $2,000, and a tithe would be $200. Today, I'm not here to debate over what you give and what you don't give, but can I tell you, God recognizes what you give. You may give to an organization, but God is the one who keeps track of what you give. So if we're wanting to come, I don't want you to be deceived, self-deceived to go, I'm tithing, when in reality you're tipping. Number two, God, or giving to God is a privilege. Everyone say a privilege. A special right, a benefit, an advantage. How many like advantages in life? Right? You like advantages in life. You like benefits in life. Today, when we talk about this concept of giving, it's a privilege. It's an advantage that many of us remove from our life because we're not doing it the way God has asked us to do it. Even though the Bible commands the financial giving of believers to his kingdom, God doesn't need your money. And then why are we giving to the church? Can I tell you today, God doesn't need your money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God created the gold that founds and backs every single dollar that's on this planet. God is the one who has the wealth that is just overflowing in his kingdom. Our giving is not doing God a favor. Our giving is not giving because we're expecting a repayment from him. We're not giving God alone. Can I tell you, there's been so much misconception in the purpose and the reason of why we do what we do. Our giving is a, should be a badge of honor and a privilege. We have this advantage and can I tell you today, in living in this economy that is horrendous, we're going to talk about it too. How many feel overwhelmed by the economy? 
Can I tell you what happens is that our giving is an advantage in the economy. Our giving is something that we need to step up and go, no, God, this is a privilege. This is a benefit. First Chronicles chapter 29, David's writing. He says, now our Lord, now our, excuse me, now our God, we give, give you thanks and praise when we praise your glorious name. But who am I that, who am I and who are your people that we should be able? Everyone say able. The able to give so generously. That word able means has capacity to give, has ability to give, has power to give, has strength to give. None of it has to go back to what they, what they had in their possession. None of it has to go back to the amount that they had in their wallet and in their banking account. That word able comes back and says, no, you have blessed us with the ability and the power and the strength to do what we know is right, to do what you've asked of us to do. We don't give to God today because he's broke. We don't give God today because he needs our money. But I can tell you this, the idea of God, that God wants us to understand is that he wants you to be his conduit to supply the need. You are his, you are his, you are his people you're his source. You're the conduit that he says, I want to use you to pour through you to give. God is giving you an opportunity to invest into his kingdom. I think about this. Your giving sustains, it strengthens, it supports the mission of God in RLC Salem in the world. What you give here week after week after week, month after month after month, sustains. It helps us accomplish what God has set for us to accomplish. Not only does it help, not only does it sustain, but it also propels. How you give and the generosity that you give and the amount that you give doesn't just sustain us, doesn't just make us ends meet. It actually propels us forward, gives us opportunity, drives us at RLC in Salem and around the world. When we as individuals stop giving or withhold from what he has, what, what it is, it's not only is it robbing God, of tithes and offerings, it's robbing God of an opportunity to invest through you. History, I think about Relevant Life Church, I think about Calvary Temple. This organization's 62 years old. Go back to 1950, all the way through. Can you imagine all the sacrifices and the gifts that have brought us to this point? The people that have faithfully given to missions, faithfully given to building campaigns, people that have faithfully given to their ties, faithfully given to needs, faithfully, faithfully given to benevolence. There are people in this room that have been recipients of benevolence over the years. Where does that money come from? People that are generous and give. We've been through two building campaigns, owned two campuses, our net worth is well over $10 million. Where does that come from? God. We step back and we have to understand the concept that God has used you and me to be conduits to bless. Joe Stoll says this, it's not so much what you have, but rather what has you that makes all the difference. It's not how much you have. We can go back to the New Testament passage of Scripture that it was the woman with the might that gave that was just as significant as one who gave more. The objective of tithe is to support God's work, but the primary purpose for tithe is that you have an opportunity to put first God in your life. 
That's the purpose. That when you give, when you write your check, when you do online giving, when you say, God, I want to give above and beyond, you're coming and saying, God, I want to put you first in my life. Economy is not going to have rain over my life. Activities are not going to have rain over my life. Vacations are not. All the different things. God, I'm going to put you first in my life. Deuteronomy chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 14 says this. Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields. Why? So that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. I will tell you what's difficult at times, and I hear it from several different people, and this is dating. This is an older generation. But the concept of writing a check or the concept of driving a, dropping an envelope in, you actually feel the tangibility of what you're doing. It's something that's passing from you and realizing that, God, I fear you. God, not a, not a, a trembling of intrepidation, but God, I fear you. I recognize who you are, and therefore I want to be faithful in giving. Researcher Sylvia Ronsvale, say, Ronsvale says this, giving is down because we don't love God as much as we love a lot of other stuff. What a, what a powerful statement. Look around the room today as you look at your own life going, oh, I love God, but do you love other stuff more? Is there stuff that comes in precedence over him? That's why God always came back and when, in Malachi, he says, give the first fruits. The concept of giving what's first. Make it your first and your best gift. Number three, God's challenge from Malachi was to test him. Malachi chapter 10, 3, verse 10, it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. As you and I know, according to Scripture, we're not supposed to test God. We can see Old Testament principles of testing God. God wasn't pleased with testing. But here God comes in the last book of the Old Testament, and he says, I'm going to give you permission to test me. Put me to the test. Prove me in this concept. We see these verses of Scripture. Number one, it says bring, the concept of bringing, physically deciding and obeying with conviction. Your motive is right that you're bringing it to God. You're not reasoning it away. You're not second-guessing. You're coming going, God, I am bringing this out of conviction to you. The whole tithe, meaning the tenth, not a tip, not a donation, not just uh, irregularly, but coming and going, God, no, I am prioritizing you day, week after week after week. That you bring it to the storehouse. Historically, the storehouse in this context was the place of worship, the temple. Where you're at. Today in our culture, there's a lot of things that are happening. We can go, well, I'm going to give my tithe to this organization or to this organization. Can I tell you, if you are planted here, if you're reaping from this body, if you're coming and you're enjoying fellowship from Relevant Life Church, this is your storehouse. This is where you need to be giving. If you want to give someplace else, let that be your tie or your offering above and beyond. God's has, giving has always been God's way of financing his church. It's always been his way of supporting the temple, supporting the priest. He comes and he says that I'll, prov I'll provide food. He'll provide the needs of the priests, the needs of the temple that they'll be met. The benevolence would be able to go forth. And this other word here is to test, to investigate, to prove. Can I tell you that what's amazing to me is that so many Christians can come and they can trust God with salvation, but they can't trust God with their finances. 
It shocks me that they can come and go, I have faith in God for my salvation, that God's grace is good and God's going to forgive me. But it comes to this immediate thing of money and they're going, I don't know if I can trust God with my finances. Number four, what everyone's been waiting for, we're under grace. Tithing is a law just like the law of gravity is a law. You can't see the law of gravity, but you can experience the law of gravity. Can I tell you today, you can't see the law of tithing, the law of giving, but you can experience the law of giving. If I jump out of an airplane, gravity is going to cause me to plummet to the, to the ground unless I have a parachute on. Can I tell you, it's the same concept of giving. If I don't give, we're going to plummet. As individuals, we're going to plummet because God says, I can't protect you. I can't save you. I can't hold you above. This concept of the law of giving, a law of reciprocity, what you sow, you reap, how you sow, you receive. This gift of grace that we oftentimes want to live in. And how many today are thankful for grace? Seriously, how many are thankful for grace? You and I would not be here without grace. For some reason, we like to step in and immediately go, well, God, your grace is sufficient for. Yes, his grace is sufficient for. It is merciful. It is giving. He wants to forgive. But this concept of grace that's applied to this word, this idea of giving is also a grace that he's giving you the ability to give. He gives you the ability to do what is right. He calls us to this joy in giving, this above and beyond mindset. In Luke chapter 6, it says, uh, uh, Give and it will be given unto you a good measure pressed down, a principle that is just there in God's kingdom. Uh, Shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, But since you excel in everything, since we strive to excel in speech and faith in all these areas, knowledge, complete uh, love, as well, it says, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Second Corinthians 9, 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. As we think about this concept, God set out a standard, a benchmark of 10%. And we step into the New Testament, not absolving the 10%, but stepping into a fullness of the 10%. Not absolving what was, but stepping into the meaning of grace. Grace, we often think of forgiveness, but grace is this empowering, this divine provision, this divine strength to step in and to do what God's asked us to do. I can tell you there's not been a time in my life, maybe at the moment there's been a gulp, but there's never been a time in my life, and Rhonda's in my life, in our marriage, that we've looked back on giving and said, oh, we shouldn't have given. Oh, I regret how much I gave. Can I tell you today, honestly, and this is not a false advertisement, there's not a moment that the money leaves my, my wallet or leaves our checkbook or leaves our, our bank account that I look back and go, man, we could have used that money here. Never. There's a joy that comes. And can I tell you that even in the middle of that sacrifice, as we might gulp as it's going, as we're writing the check, as we might gulp as we're dropping it in a box, can I tell you, God always provides. God always provides. The last one, the promised blessing. The one we've all been waiting for, Malachi chapter 3. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. Can I tell you, this is above and beyond talking right here. 
This is above and beyond concept. This God is saying, I am above and I am beyond. If you want to participate in above and beyond, link up with me. If you want to understand above and beyond, link up with me. I'll pour out so much blessing that there will be no room enough, not a, there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your fields and will not drop their fruit, the drops will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. And you will be called blessed. God's saying, test me and watch and see. Can I tell you, it's just going, God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to give and I'm going to step back and I'm going to just watch. You can step back in skepticism. You can step back in faith. Because the concept of giving is this. You cannot, cannot, it's impossible to outgive God. You cannot outgive him. The sad part is this, and doing this for 36 years, having lots of conversations is that so many people get hung up on the 10% and forget all about the blessing. They get so caught up on the amount that they can't see past the amount to what God wants to do in your life. Christian industrialist R.G. Letourneau says this, if you give because it pays, it won't pay. If you give to get it's not going to work. If you come and go, I'm, I, I'm, I'm coming to give just because I want, I, I need a, a savings account. It all comes back to motive. It all comes back to the very concept that we talked about a couple points up is that it's a recognition that God has given you everything. And out of everything that he's given you, you turn around and say, God, I want to give back to you. This week, I texted and asked several people, different ages, different lengths of commitment, what the word tithing meant to them. I've just picked a few because I wasn't able to put all of them in. I did no prompting. I just said, what does tithing mean to you? I want to give you some of the phrases that you gave back to me. Tithing, do it, it works. Tithing. It produces joy and peace. When I tithe, I feel a deep sense of worship. When I tithe, it's a blessing. It's not a burden. Tithing, I feel sorry for those who don't tithe. They don't know what they're missing. When I tithe, it's a revelation of my heart. Either I have joy or I have worry, fear, and pride. And when I have worry, fear, and pride, I know my focus has shifted and my heart needs readjusting. When I say the word tithing today, what does it come to your mind? Does it fill your heart with anxiety? Does this message even today cause resentment in your heart? Because, Pastor Kevin, how dare you talk to us about this? Pastor Kevin, you should have used different phrases. Pastor Kevin, you were offensive. I just want you to hear the words of Malachi. Do you think that the Israelites were going, oh, this makes me feel good, or they're going, stone him? Please don't stone me. Personally, I've realized that just the joy 
And the peace that comes from giving is enough. But can I tell you, because God is a God of above and beyond, he doesn't just give me peace and joy. Do you hear me this morning, church? He doesn't just give a sense of satisfaction. There's so much more to it that he says, I'm going to pour out blessing. I'm going to be your God of abundance. I'm going to go above and beyond. And many of you in this room are going, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say many, but some of you in this room are going, I've never experienced that. Can I tell you? Because you've never tested him to let him prove himself to you. You don't have the joy and the peace because you've not given to God. You don't have the abundance and this provision because you haven't given to God. You've not given them opportunity. It's not just a token splash from heaven. It says he's going to pour out. This idea of pouring is that it's like a bucket and completely emptying. He says, I'm going to open the floodgates of heaven and I'm going to empty them on your life. This blessing comes in the form of physical blessing. How many times has God protected you from calamity that you know of? Can I tell you, I can go through many times where God in my stupidity and I'm driving or someone else's stupidity that he's protected me from calamity. Anybody out there been protected from calamity? There's been spiritual blessings. There's been his presence in my life. There's been peace. There's been relational blessings, family, friends, favor, influence. Yes, there's been financial blessings. There's provision. There's knowledge to do my job. Can I tell you today, you got, you're promoted. Why? Because God's given you the promotion. Your income is a result of what God has says, I'm going to bless you with. But you know, on top of all these blessings that we can point out, probably is equally important or more important. It's not what God does for us and provides for us. It's what God does in protecting us. The very next passage of scripture, he says, I will rebuke the devourer off of your life. Many of us don't even step back to think about what it is that's devouring us. Can I tell you what's devouring us in our current age? Worry, anxiety, stress, things, stuff. What's devouring us in 2022? A ploy of the enemy is the economy. And many of our responses to this, as I've talked with people, is, well, I'm just, I just can't afford to give to God. I'm going to have to, the economy is too bad. Can I tell you today, you're going to try and do something practically when God says, this is a spiritual battle. You want me to rebuke the devourer off your life? Don't succumb to the devourer. Don't, don't rob the hand that feeds you. Come back and go, no, God, I'm going to give. Can I tell you in the process of some of those things, Ron and I go, Satan, you can bring it on and we're going to give more. That's above and beyond. It's the concept to say, no, I'm not going to be swayed. The devourer is not going to eat me. I'm going to power up as he tries to power up. Proverbs 11:24 says this, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another man withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. The kingdom of God is to give. Proverbs 22.9 says, a generous man will himself be blessed. Letarno makes another statement. He says, I shovel it out and God shovels it back, but God has a bigger shovel. How many have discovered that? God's handfuls on purpose are bigger than your handfuls. 
Let me finish my story. Rhonda's in my story. You've heard it before. Have we been blessed? Yes, we've been blessed. Has God poured abundance in our lives? Yes. We are beyond blessed. But I stand here today, and I'm more grateful that he's rebuked the devourer in our lives than the blessing he's given. As I look around at my family and I see that my grandchild, my, my grandson was born too early and there was complications. And as a result of the faithfulness of giving in our lives as well as the faithfulness of giving in his, his parents' life, he today is a normal, normal kid. I can go back to a story in tr when Trenton was in high school and he was having stomach problems. We took him to a stomach specialist and they made, they made horrible declarations over his life. And they said the only way that you can help him is to buy a, a drug from Canada. It's not even allowed in America. To buy a drug from Canada to heal him. And we came back and said, no, God, you're going to rebuke the devourer off of our life. Our most recent challenge has been Rhonda's cancer. I'm thankful for technology. I'm thankful for doctors. They did their little part, but God did his big part. I stand, and we stand as testimonies, not just of his blessings, but because of our faithfulness, because of our, our sometimes menial giving, God says, I see your life, and I'm going to put this, this shuttle over you. Many times we come back and go, well, God, why is the trial even there? Because God's not promising to protect us from trial. God's promising to get us through and he rebuked the devourer and we're believing that he's going to continue to rebuke the devourer. Some of you say, I can't afford to give. In my book, I can't afford not to give. I can't afford not to. I don't know the calamities that God has protected me from that are unknown. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't have to worry about the eight ball, shake the eight ball to figure it out. I have to go, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. And God, I'm going to be faithful in what you've asked of me. As I come to a conclusion this morning, I want to give you three things. Number one, I want to ask you to audit your giving. Would you evaluate your giving? Would you step back and would you look at your giving today? Maybe you're here and you have never given on a regular basis. Would you step back and would you prove God? We talk about this 90-day giving challenge. 90 days that if you give and God doesn't show up, We'll give it back to you. But would you test him? Would you give him an opportunity to do something in your life? And I'm going to challenge you. Don't just look for the financial blessing. Look bigger of what God is doing in your life. Maybe you're here today and you already give and God's going, I want you to give a little bit more. As I think about Rhonda and me, again, not, this is my testimony to hopefully inspire you not to brag. I can step back and I can look back. Rhonda, I did an audit, a rough audit over the last 30, 36 years of marriage. I was shocked in our ups and downs of income of how much we've been able to give to the kingdom of God. Over $600,000. And we're not millionaires. Can I tell you, that's not for me to brag before you. That's me to declare to go, God, look what you've empowered me, made me able to do out of obedience. Can I tell you that we need to step back and we need to audit our giving. We don't just need to assume. We need to step back and go, am I giving? How am I giving? Every time a missionary comes, 
If it's not me and primarily it's my wife, she's going, let's audit our giving. We're going to give a little bit more. As we come to this 90-day challenge, everything's tight. The economy is hitting us just like it's hitting you. But can I tell you, we're making a commitment because we are auditing and we're going to give more. We want to invite you on this journey with us. Number two is to take the challenge. Would you test God? Test God. This is an opportunity to go, God, can I outgive you? I'm going to try and outgive you. Make it a competition. You're going to lose. But make it a competition. Come with joy going, God, I get to give this to you. I see what you've done in my life. And lastly, would you pray for the finances of RLC? I'm going to ask you even bigger than that. Don't pray for just the finances of RLC. Would you pray for every religious organization in the city of Salem? As I talk to pastors across the board, finances are lacking. I know this. God has the cattle on a thousand hills. God owns every ounce of gold. And he would be able, if he could, if he would, he has the ability to just drop a boatload of gold here. But you know what? He uses you and me to drop the gold. He uses your obedience and your faithfulness to drop the gold. He uses your obedience and your faithfulness to not just sustain the mission, but to propel the mission. Would you participate with us? Would you join us in this journey that's exciting, challenging? I guarantee this week was a heavy sermon. Next week, you're going to laugh because Trenton's preaching and it's going to be funny and he's going to be good, right? So would you just stand stand to your feet this morning? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the heaviness of your word. Can you say that this morning? God, the awkwardness that we might feel right now, God, we thank you for the heaviness of your word. I thank you that your word is a strong word. God, I thank you that your word does not just come and, and, and bless and make us feel good, but God, it actually changes us to be good. And God, today I pray, God, that your word would penetrate every heart and every life. God, that you would speak to us this morning. Speak to us your sure word. God, I thank you for the, for the faithfulness in this congregation. I thank you for the faithfulness of givers. God, I pray over every single one, those that are going to begin and those that are continuing. God, those that are still considering. God, all the spectrums of of, of stages. God, I pray, God, most of all, that you would be the Lord of their lives. Would you be the focus of their hearts? God, would you, that you would be their treasure because God, your heart is gonna be near you. And God, as they give out of obedience today, as they give out of sacrifice, as they give out of faithfulness, and as they even give out of a little bit of, of, well, as they give out of generosity, God, as they go, no, I want to give more. I want to do above and beyond. God, I pray that you would impart unto us this heart of above and beyond, of faithfulness. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. Prayer team, would you come gather around the, come around the front if you need prayer this morning? They're coming. They, they are coming. I think we have prayer team. Yes. I'm going to kind of pause and wait. I'm going to ask Phil and Anna Marie, maybe would you come if people want to pray? If you're, if you're here today would you, and you need prayer, would you uh, come and let Phil and Anna Marie pray for you? These are two faith-filled, faith-filled prayers, and they want to pray over you. Have a blessed, blessed week. Remember to register and sign up for all the things that you need to sign up for. We'll see you next Sunday. God bless. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God 
relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.